Welcome to South Park Church. We welcome those of you joining us online or listening to our podcast. Uh, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Here at South Park, we're all about helping people live life to the full with Jesus. And we have three core values that, that just drive us in doing that. The first is that relationships are the most important thing in life. You want to know the secret to life, it's being in relationship with God and with each other. Also, another core value is transformation. God meets us where we are and helps us become the people that we were created to be. God has plans for you in your life. You can make a difference in this world. There's lots of goodness inside of each and every one of us. And then generosity. We have everything because God is so generous. We're created in God's image, and God is generous, so that means that we're generous in our nature. And so those are the ways that we try to pursue uh, life to the full with Christ. Today we're starting a new message series called In a Different Light. This will take us all the way into Easter. This is the season of Lent, the six weeks of preparation leading into Easter. And we're going to talk about how we might be able to see God in new, different ways. And so I'm glad you're here today to be a part of this discussion. Uh, when I first served, my first two churches that I served as a pastor, they were here in North Carolina in rural North Carolina and in small town North Carolina. And so the two churches that I served, uh, you know, back to back uh, were traditional and um, very uh, established churches. And so in, in Sunday morning, I would wear like a robe, went all the way down to my ankles and I have this stole, it looked like kind of an upside down U that, that hung over me. Uh, and so very formal kind of worship and, and uh, tradition with that. And so uh, it was always fun and sometimes funny to see church members outside of the church. So I'd be at the grocery store or be at Target shopping somewhere, and they come up to me like, Pastor Kyle, what are you doing here? Right? <laughs> As if I lived in the church 24-7, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I could see it in their eyes, but they didn't say it out loud. It's like, why aren't you wearing your robe? You know, as if that's all that I wore was my robe and stayed in church and didn't have to go grocery shopping. That I'm a real person with, you know, hopes and dreams and I have to get my own food and uh, people are not bringing it to me. You know, God's not magically bringing it down from heaven like manna, right? So it's just they saw me in a different way. They saw me in a different light. And I want you to think about people in your lives that you have known and come to appreciate when one day something happens and you see a different side of them. And it's fun and it's amazing or it's shocking. Maybe it's the mild-mannered person that you work with and you go to a sporting event with them and they're screaming their guts out, knock them in the dirt, right? You, just, you see them in a, in a different way, a different light. Talking with one of our church members yesterday after we had a celebration of life service for Dustin Moretz, and I was talking with him and our church members afterwards, and, and she was recalling uh, going to the funeral services for her parents who she lost recently. And she said, Kyla, it was really amazing and very touching for me to hear stories about my mom and dad from these people that saw them in a way that I had not seen them. And it helped me see a different part of them. And it just, it was a beautiful thing to see them in a different light. And so I want to invite you to think about people in your life. How, how might you see them in a different light? How might people see you in a different light if they caught you in, in one particular circumstance or the other? And how might we see God in a different light? I'm going to look at some scripture today uh, where Jesus uh, takes uh, three of his disciples and, and does something really cool. And just to kind of set the background, uh, what Jesus and his disciples have done, they've just fed the 4,000, right? There's a story in the Bible about where Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. There's a second story where he feeds 4,000 men plus women and children with some fish and some bread. So he's done this huge miracle. He's restored sight to a man who was blind who couldn't see. 
Uh, he's been teaching his disciples, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And there are all these ideas about who Jesus was at the time. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was in essence the leader of the disciples, said, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're, you're the Savior. Right? It's, this, this, it's this powerful moment where Peter has just been given this knowledge from the Holy Spirit to say, this is who Jesus is. And Jesus commends Peter. And it's this amazing thing. Right? He confesses Jesus as the Messiah. And then Jesus teaches his disciples something that's really hard to understand, right? He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Savior. They've waited a thousand years to have a leader like King David come into Israel and restore them to glory and kick out the Roman government. So they're, they're excited that they think Jesus is going to be a, a, a Savior like that. And, and as soon as Peter confesses him as, as the Messiah, Jesus says, but here, here's how it's going to unfold. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Not what you think when you think of a, a revolutionary leader who's going to come in and, and, and kick out a foreign country and restore your kingdom to its height of power. He's, I've got to die and suffer. And if you are my follower, you're going to have to carry your own cross as well. And Peter, being like you and me, doesn't want Jesus to be suffering or have harm. He's like, no, Jesus, no, we, we, we can't let you do that. And and, and Jesus says this really weird thing. He says, get behind me, Satan. Right? I, just, I feel sorry for Peter sometimes in the Bible. He's just confessed Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And now he said, Jesus, I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to die. And how does Jesus reward him? He calls him the devil, right? Come on, man, give me a break. So all that's happened. And now we pick up the story. Okay, let's see what happens. This is in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 2 through 3. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Right? So there he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. These are three disciples. Uh, they were the first three disciples Jesus called. They're the first three disciples in, in most of the list of the 12 disciples in the Bible. Jesus takes them to different areas that the other nine disciples don't get to go. So, like, he's doing it again. He's taking them up on this mountain. They, we believe it's called Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N. And something happens to Jesus. All of a sudden, he starts glowing. Like, he starts radiating, right? It's like some kind of radiation on Mount Hermon. Like, something powerful is happening and Peter, James, and John get to see this. So let's see what happens next, right? And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what to say because they were so frightened. You can't, can't blame them. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud this is my son whom I love, listen to him. This is God's voice. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves discussing what does rising from the dead mean? Right? Good question. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. This is a short passage of scripture. 
and it's packed full of stuff. Right? It's packed full of stuff, and let's unpack that because I, I want you to see what's going on here. So Jesus takes three disciples. They go up on Mount Hermon. He starts glowing. He's transformed. They get a peek at something in Jesus that they've not seen before. You got, these guys have seen it all. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen him heal blind people, make people who are paralyzed walk. He's calmed storms. Right? He's fed thousands of people with just a handful of food. He's taught in amazing ways. And still yet, there's more about Jesus than meets the eye that they see. Right? So he's glowing. All this stuff's happening. And then two people just pop up, right? Moses and Elijah. Right? And, and if you know, like the Old Testament, if you don't know it, I'll tell you what it is. So Moses is a key figure in the Old Testament. He shows up in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. The people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. God says, I'm going to free them, and he sends Moses to do it. And has performs all these miracles, and Moses gets the people out of Egypt. The Egyptians are chasing them. He parts the Red Sea. They go through it. The waters wash the Egyptians away. And Moses' job is to now lead the people of Israel back into Israel, the promised land. But the people of Israel get it wrong, and so they wander around for 40 years in the desert. While they're there, God calls Moses up onto a mountain, Mount Sinai, and gives him the, the law, like the Ten Commandments, plus about 600 other ones, and says, if you follow these commands, I'll be your God, I'll take care of you. And that's what happens in the Old Testament. So Moses does all this stuff, but he doesn't get into the promised land because he disobeys God, and so he dies there in the wilderness. And to me, it's a beautiful thing here. Moses finally, for the first time, steps into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. It's, it's a beautiful thing, uh, and Moses is there, and he's there for a reason. We'll talk about that in just a second. But what's really cool is if you go back and read the story about Moses going up on Mount Sinai and Jesus going up on Mount Hermon to be transfigured, there's a lot of stuff that's very similar and its own purpose. Let's look at this, Okay. So Jesus takes three disciples up Mount Hermon. Moses takes three up Mount Sinai, plus additional 70 people, but those three people are named. So we see that in Mark and in Exodus. Right? Jesus is transfigured and his clothes become radiantly white. Moses' skin shines when he descends from the mountain after talking with God. When you're in the presence of God, something happens to make you glow, okay? <laughs> Jesus and Moses, uh, God appears in a veiled form like a cloud, Right As an overshadowing cloud, he does it both with Moses and with Jesus. Uh, and then a big voice of God speaks from the cloud, right? both to Jesus, both to Moses. Jesus, the people are astonished when they see him after he descends from the mountain. And with Moses, the people are afraid to come near him because he's glowing after he descends from the mountain. Right? So do you see the parallels there? It's intentional. It's not on accident, right? This is what's going on, right? This is a typology, a Moses typology. It assumes God's prior redemptive acts recorded in Scripture prefigure later events. Something that happened is going to give us some, some clue about what's getting ready to happen. God saved the people of Israel through Moses. God's getting ready to save the people of Israel and all of the world through Jesus. Right? Something that happened kind of foreshadowed something that's getting ready to happen in a new way, right? So God used Moses to save the people of Israel. God's going to use Jesus to save the people of Israel and the entire world. So Moses represents the prophets, spokespersons for God. Moses represents the law. The whole Old Testament's about law and prophets, right? Speaking for God, following God's will, that sort of thing. It's important that Moses is here. 
And then there's a guy named Elijah. Anybody who Elijah was? He, he was a prophet, a spokesperson for God, also in the Old Testament. He doesn't have his own book. He shows up in some other books. But Elijah never died. He was taken off into heaven in a chariot made out of fire, right? Right? That'd be nice not to have to die to go to heaven, right? He goes right up there. And now he shows back up on Mount Hermon with Jesus as he's being transfigured, right? Why is Elijah there, right? Elijah's there, one, because he's a prophet, right? Remember, law and prophets are what make up the Old Testament, uh, and Elijah's there. Uh, he also uh, was predicted in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that before Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, that Elijah would prepare the way for him. God kind of changed the script and he used John the Baptist to become the new Elijah. And that's what all those last verses were that we just read. So Elijah kind of is taken over his role by John the Baptist. But what's important about Elijah and Moses is that they are eschatological figures. That's a heck of a mouthful of a word, right? Eschatology, the eschaton's about the end of time, like where God comes back and makes things right. right? Let's look in a book uh, in... uh, it's Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Remember the law of my servant Moses, right? We talked about that. The decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction, right? Elijah and Moses, talking about end of time, end of world stuff, they show up. Because what's getting ready to happen in the story of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is coming in. The kingdom of God is coming into the world and it's coming in a way with Jesus that flows from Moses and Elijah, but Jesus is superior, right? So as soon as this happens, what happens to Moses and Elijah? They disappear, They're there for a reason. They're there to be symbolic. They're there to say, hey, the kingdom of God's coming and they disappear because they are inferior to Jesus, Jesus is going to save humanity in a way that Moses and Elijah could not, a way that sticks for all of us, that brings us back into right relationship with God, right? So they they kind of paved the way, but now it's a new day, right? So that's going on with Moses, that's going on with Elijah. And then remember Peter, he confessed Jesus as the Messiah, then he got called Satan. Uh, And so now what does Peter do, right? He's got to be on top of the world. These are like his heroes, right? For thousands of years, he's heard about these guys. It's like Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Hey, Jesus, let's build some shelters and you guys can stay here and hang out. And this is going to be awesome. Man, I get to talk to Moses. I get to talk to Elijah. What's it like in that chariot, right? This, we, we need to stay up here. This is a godly moment, right? Jesus was talking about suffering and dying. Let's delay that as long as possible. Let's make some, some shelters and let's hang out up here. Sounds like Peter's being hospitable. It sounds like he's being good. Again, my heart goes out to Peter because then it says that Peter said this because he was scared and didn't know what else to say, right? It's as if what Peter said was the wrong thing, right? You're in a social situation, you say the wrong thing, and it just, it just goes, that's evidently what Peter did. He said the wrong thing, right? And so, again, I feel so sorry for Peter because he's such a good guy, but he keeps sticking his foot in his mouth, and he means well, right? So what's going on? Why, why isn't it okay for them to, to camp out and, and stay up there? And then we hear this big booming voice of God. And I just think of like Charlton Heston or James Earl Jones, right? This is my son, you know. If you know the story of Jesus, we've seen this one other time. 
right when Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry, right? When he is baptized, just like we baptized Anderson today, right? God shows up. You can't really see him, kind of in this cloud. He sends down this dove and you hear this big voice, right? And so it marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. God shows up. We hear the big voice. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. I love him, right? Now it shows up again. It's like a bookend, Right, So he started the ministry, and whenever God speaks in a big voice from a big cloud, something big is getting ready to happen. Jesus is getting ready to go to die and to come back to life so that you and I can be restored into right relationship with God. This is a big moment. It's a kingdom of God moment, and we see that bookend. Right? And then Jesus himself starts glowing. He starts shining like white. Like I'm thinking if they had sunglasses, they'd be putting them on, right? Where's the radiation counter? Like what's going on here? Jesus is glowing. And we ask ourselves, what does that mean? What does that symbolize? They're getting a glimpse of Jesus in his glory, right? Remember, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one to come and and get rid of evil and and make sure that good wins out. He's going to get rid of sin and guilt and shame and death and hell. And he's going to replace that with joy and peace and life to the full now and life forever in the kingdom of heaven. And It's glorious, and they get a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. But there's also that dark cloud. And the disciples and Peter are expecting him to be a king and and a military political leader and and this this fighter who's going to restore Israel and kick the Romans out and and make it into a great kingdom. But but again, just like Jesus said before he went up the mountain, we got to go back down the mountain. To get to glory, we got to go through suffering. And it's not going to be easy to be my follower. It's not going to be easy to be a follower of Christ. We live in this tension of we have the glory of Christ. We have the forgiveness of Christ. We have the promise of life eternal. We have life to the full now. But we who follow Jesus know that it's not easy. That there are people who will make fun of us. There are people who will do bad things to us. There are people in the world who will kill Christians. Right? There, there's a hard side about being a Christian that we have to sacrifice. Right? Sometimes... We want to spend money in the ways that we want to spend money. God calls us to spend it otherwise. Sometimes we want to spend our time in the way that we want to spend it. God calls us to do it in another way. God asks us to live sacrificially because Jesus lived sacrificially. Let's see what it says here in Romans, what Paul teaches us. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs. We're going to inherit from God. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There are a lot of people who talk about Jesus and talk about all the good stuff, and I believe in it all. We also have to talk about the hard stuff. We follow Jesus, there's gonna be some challenges in our lives because we're followers of Christ, because we're Christians, because we do the right thing in a world that's broken and wrong. And so what Jesus is showing the disciples is, I'm gonna come back to life. I'm gonna win, right? The deck is stacked, evil cannot beat me. But to do that, I'm gonna have to suffer then you're going to have times that are hard too. And when you're having those hard times, I want you to remember the glow and that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. We just talked about that at Christmas. So if you're going through a hard time in your life, if you're going through a hard time as a follower of Christ, know that the light of Jesus shines with you and will get you through what you're going through. And that Christ is with us and we have the glory and we will have the resurrection. We will have the victory, right? Because ours is Christ. But we're in this tension as long as we're living in this world. So that's what Jesus is saying here.
And what's amazing to me in all this is these disciples, again, have been with Jesus from the beginning, and they have seen some crazy stuff. Right? They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him stop storms. They've seen him bring uh, people back to life. They've seen people who couldn't walk, walk, people who were blind, see. They've seen it all. But here at the Transfiguration, they see another side of Jesus. They see Jesus in a different light. Right? They see Jesus, that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. Right? So this sermon series is called In a Different Light. And we're going to go through it through the season of Lent. And what I want to challenge you to think about in your life is how do you see Jesus? And how might you be able to see Jesus in a different way than you never imagined? And how can we get there? That's going to be our challenge. The season of Lent is a time of six weeks as we look forward to Easter. It's a time of introspection. It's a time of looking inside ourselves and to ask questions. How is it between me and God? How is it with my soul? What does my relationship with God look like? And so we explore that in the season of Lent. Uh, We're celebrating Mardi Gras brunch today. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we're excited about that. And Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday. Uh, because Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, it starts Lent, and a lot of people who are Christian who follow Jesus during the season of Lent fast, right? They'll fast from food, uh, and, uh, and in that time, they pray, and they try to become closer to Christ. Some people give up stuff that's dear to them. Some people give up television. Some people give up red meat. You know, some, Whatever it is that means a lot to you, you give it up so that you'll miss it, and when you're craving it, you pray and you talk to God and you think about it. Some people give up bad habits, right? I'm going to give up something for God. I'm going to give up cussing, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to look at my phone, you know, only one hour instead of five hours a day, right? The purpose is to miss something and when you miss it, to think of God, right? And so Fat Tuesday for people who are fasting from food, right? I mean, you still have to eat, but you just eat less. Um, they pig out. <laughs> so that's what Fat Tuesday, so that's why we're having Mardi Gras today. So anyway, that's, that's what we're doing, but... During the season of Lent, I really want you to think about how do I see God? And do I have blind spots? Is there a, a new way that I might be able to see God acting in my life, acting in the world, that I might not have God exactly figured out? And so that's, that's what we're going to be doing. And each Sunday, I'm going to offer you uh, a spiritual practice and exercise that you can go home and do throughout the week that will hopefully help you begin to see God in new Uh, in different ways. Um, The University of South Carolina, I mean South Carolina, Southern California, they're both USC. Uh, University of Southern California in Los Angeles is one of uh, the world's leading institutions for academics and athletics. If you remember a few years ago, there were several celebrities that got in trouble. Some of them even went to jail because they lied to get their kids into that school. They made up stuff and they got caught. Like it's that good of a school. Uh, And the president who built that into that institution's name was Stephen Sample. Uh, And I read one of his leadership books, uh, and it was very interesting. He said, like, his administrative assistant might walk into his office one day, and he'd be laying on the floor. And he's like, you okay? You know, President Sample, what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I just like to lay down here to see my room in a different place to get a different perspective about the problem that I'm thinking about. He would literally, like, put himself in different, unique situations to see the world in a different way, right? So the spiritual practice that I'd like you to consider is not laying on the floor looking up at your desk, um, unless that sounds intriguing, uh, but it's this, right? Uh, well, one is to, to contemplate, is to observe carefully, 
and to pay close attention, right? So the season of Lent, we're going to be looking for God, right? We're going we're to contemplate God, look, pay close attention to Him, right? And go to the next slide. Right, and what I want you to think about doing this week is voluntary displacement, right? It's kind of like spiritually laying on the floor looking up at your desk, right? With some regularity, leave your own comfort zone, your own neighborhood, your own social class, your own ethnicity. Go somewhere different. Try to see a different part of the city. Hang out with different people, right? Try to see this area through a different lens, through God's eyes in that place. What might you learn or appreciate elsewhere? And how might you see God differently? Right? So to get out of your comfort zone, whatever that is, just to start doing something different, to try to see the world differently, to see Charlotte differently, to see South Park differently, just to voluntarily try to put yourself in a different situation. It's gonna be a little awkward and make you see different people, different circumstances, and see if God might show up in a different way, right? So that's something, and you can do that on your own, right? As much or as little as you want to do, right? Uh, and as you do that, I want you to think about the point today. What's the big idea? What's the takeaway, right? There's more to Jesus than meets the eye, right? That's an old Transformers cartoon kind of thing, a little toy action figure things, right? But it's true. There's more to Jesus than meets the eye. The disciples who'd seen everything with Jesus saw him in a different way. They're, there's a different way you might be able to see Jesus this season of Lent, right? A few things you might be able to do. One, ask yourselves, how do I see God? What do you know about God? What does God look like to you? Physically, metaphorically, spiritually? How do you see God? What does that look like? What, what does God look like in your life, right? Next thing, practice voluntary displacement. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your neighborhood. Get out of your school. Get out of your work, right? Just get out. Do something different. Just see how God might speak to you in a different way. And then finally, maybe take a picture of this or go to Psalm 119, verse 18a. That's the first half of verse 18, where the psalmist prays, open my eyes that I may see. God, let me see you. I want to see you. I want to see you in my life. I want to see you in a different way. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with the way that I'm seeing you now, but could I be like the disciples who knew lots about you and you continue to surprise them? The season of Lent, how is it with your soul? How do you see Jesus? What does that look like? So I want to go back to that first question, how do you see God? And I just want to, want to offer some things and, and, and see if it sounds like something that you connect to God with or not. How do you see God? What does God look like physically? When you think of God, when you're praying to God, is, is God a cloud? Uh, is God a person? Is God a man? Is God a woman? Is God white? Is God black? Brown, yellow, right? I'm guessing that God's not just a white man who speaks American English, just guessing. How do you see God? What, what does God look like? Does God look like you? And how would other people who don't look like you see God? So what does God physically look like? Do you see Jesus as kind of like this cosmic hippie, you know, got his Birkenstock shoes on, I got the long hair, talking about peace all the time. He's like some kind of a guru, has a lot of wisdom and it's a good moral teacher. Is that, is that what you think of when you, when you think about Jesus? Is Jesus, uh, you know, a social activist in the, in the justice and in the front line of protest and, and in nonprofits and fighting for, for the underdog? Is God a cosmic genie to you? Right, when you need something in your life, you bring the bottle down off the shelf, you rub it, and you say the right sort of prayer and say, God, help me out. I got a laundry list of stuff I need you to do for me, right? God, help me, help me, help me, help me. And then you get the answers, you put the genie back on the shelf, and 
You'll consult God when you need God again. How do you see God? Is God uh, a yes God or or a uh, yes sir or yes ma'am, right? Does, Does God rubber stamp everything that you do and say, that's it, right? Whatever I do, then, then I know that God agrees with that. I, I made this decision. I feel that God made me do that, right? You see what I'm saying? That whatever you do, God agrees with, right? Is God just rubber stamping what you do? Is God a yes man? Is God a yes ma'am, right? It's like, like is, is, is what you do okay in God's eyes? I think a lot of times we do that, right? We act and say, well, God's definitely on my side, right? Is God with power and authority in our world and our nation? Is God with the marginalized, with the outcasts, the the weak and the lowly? Is God with both of them? Does God speak to power? Does God speak to the marginalized? Who is God and who's God hang out with? Who's God for? Is God your creator, your redeemer, your sustainer? Is God your protector? Is God your provider? Is God your friend? Or is God your enemy? Maybe you're mad at God. Maybe God hadn't come through for you. Is God a, an authoritative cosmic figure, rule enforcer who's just ready for you to break the rules so he can punish you? Is God wrathful? Is God vengeful? Is he, is he ready to throw all people into hell and make them burn forever in eternity? Is that the God that you see in your life? Or did God create the world and wind it up and step back and God's out distant out in the universe and just kind of watching kind of aloof yeah I don't care what happens I created it if they're a mess they can deal with it or is God absent uncaring mean SOB that you pray to all the time and you never hear anything from and you think God is definitely against me who is God what does God look like or is God a bright shining force in your life that when darkness comes, it's the one thing that you can hang on to and know that is for you and with you and will bring you life and joy and peace. How do you see God? What's good? How do you see God? And maybe there's something you don't see yet about God. And could it be that at the end of this series that we might be able to see God in a different light? I hope you come back in the next six weeks. We will be looking for God together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.